Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I'm chatting with TV and film editor Owen McGurk, fresh off his role editing Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Um, so uh, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us. It's it's great to get um, the perspective of, of an editor because I, I think if you don't know editing, people are very surprised it's so creative like it's very technical but it's so deeply deeply creative and you you can essentially if in certain types of projects like you're telling the story in many ways uh, yeah yeah I mean I, I in terms of uh in terms of what people think of it is from the outside well it's always amazing to me that even people within the film industry or within the tv industry don't really know what happens in the cutting room and there is a there are sort of good reasons for that because some of like obviously you're right with a huge part to to play in how the story is told you know a very very important part to play in it but but also also i suppose we kind of sit a little bit on judgment on everybody else's hard work and uh, there's good reasons that they don't like usually in admiration of it sometimes not and there's good reasons why a lot of what goes on in the cutting room just stays here and it and it's funny it's like even when i've worked in cutting rooms when we've been right beside the set we get very few visitors and it's it's um like even you you almost never see an actor say in the cutting room and there are very very good reasons for that too because it just couldn't help them you know seeing themselves halfway through a show or whatever so so there's an awful lot of secrecy that uh, surrounds the cutting room and so this feels a little odd for me doing a, a an interview because usually <laughs> yeah. I, i'm i have to be very discreet and you know usually if anybody asks me how things are going everything's wonderful and everybody's great and, uh, <laughs> and we won't we won't go into specifics but like yeah, no, strokes, yeah. like because I think I think we've all sort of been there but I also think it's helpful for maybe people to know what can go wrong and what to avoid um sure. you know like what are common mistakes people do because I mean you're someone who's who's who started off uh was it was gridlock a film-based short or Oh like, yeah. Oh well, I'd been in cutting rooms for a very long time. Very long time. When I did uh, when I did gridlock. Uh, so yeah. who was that for? It was well, obviously it was Ian Hunt Duffy, who's the director and direct. Actually, it was through Na- Narian Vamela. I think that I got that. Who's the DOP on it? Because I'd cut other things that Narian had shot, and he he liked the way I cut his uh, his his shots. So. You know, I, I I like the way he shot things. So it was, it was that was always that was a very kind of profitable arrangement for the both of us, I think, for a while. But um, God, that so that's what is that about eight years ago? So or maybe not so long actually. But that that was great. Uh, yeah, I'd been working obviously in cutting rooms for I know a long time by the time that came along. But that's an interesting one for anyone who doesn't know. In that it's a kind of it's a mystery short. It, it obviously in terms of Irish shorts, it won. I don't know if it won a hundred awards around the world, but it certainly won north of 70 or 80. So it was very successful. Uh, it had a long run in, in, uh, in um, festivals and that. And, uh, and it was a fun one to cut because, well, just basically the premise, uh, such as it was, was that it's a, a, a traffic jam on a country road and there's a, a father and a daughter and he's, agitated and he gets out to see what's causing the traffic jam when he gets back his his daughter is missing and there is then it's a kind of whodunit there's a cast of characters all start getting out of their cars everybody starts accusing each other and you uh yeah and there's a good there's a great twist ending you know so after we've exhausted oh well, you've seen it i take it so. yeah yeah well it was a, it was really fun to watch that in a with an audience, I think the first time we watched it was at Galway, but I got to see it uh, a few times in a cinema with a packed cinema, and it was always that thing. As soon as the girl goes missing, you could feel just the the story get its hooks into the audience, and it was always that thing at the end. You would see people whispering and you know uh, just trying to say, "Oh, did you get it?" Well, blah, blah, and then try and discussing the ending. So it it was it was one that was uh, it was a lot of fun to do. But actually, in terms of the editing, if you're talking about how important the editing was for that all oh, eh. 
Well, there were certain script changes that I think there was a lot more setup in the script and the script was brilliant. So, so a lot of it is very faithful to the script. I mean, that was one of those ones you read the script, you go, oh, well, this will work. And I actually, I should say, when I got the script, I handed it to my wife and I think I was doing something in the garden and I was watching her through the window and I knew what page she was on, depending on the look on her face. Do you know, That's like, and, <laughs> you know, well. Was, well, you know, those, these are things I, I try. My wife has nothing to do with the film industry. So I took, I, you know, trust her. Um, I trust her opinion hugely because it's, it's untainted by any kind of, you know, if you're a professional, you have a different way of looking at things. And sometimes you that can blind you to what's really important. But I knew when she loved it, I was like, oh, well, I'll definitely do this. Because I usually, if I'm doing shorts, I have to clear up my, my wife because it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know the way the problem with shorts are, you don't pay. So you do it when you can. And when you can is the weekends and it's late at night and it means you're not being around for a while. So, yeah, so I, I tend to, I mean, I had a thing of never doing more than one a year because, um, but anyway, but, but, but so that was my whole thing about doing shorts and I would totally recommend anybody going to Italian to do them because they're a great way of testing yourself but yeah and make sure to clear it with the big boss <laughs> yeah yeah well quite yeah <laughs> yeah well, well absolutely no no but you, you know you've only so much you know i've definitely i know in the past i've definitely spread myself too thin that way so um but in terms of gridlock specifically in terms of the the big the big thing i think in the without wanting to give away the ending the big thing that we had to do or that, that I saw as the editor's job and that obviously there was a pacing job involved, um, which I think worked really well. But what I was most pleased with was disguising who the actual killer was or the, the actual not killer, but the, the, the villain of the piece was while at the same time giving you enough hints that at the end when it when it's revealed, you go, oh, of course, because the problem was initially in initial cuts of it, it was very obvious who it was from right from the start it, it was a little bit of a, a shining situation where it was like oh he, that person's crazy <laughs> and you know the way so i'm pretty pleased that i'm i'm pretty confident that that worked anyway so that was uh and that yeah, it holds that off. was but the job on that because <laughs> i do i i think it's i think it's very interesting like the scope of the type of things that you work on so you have like done what is like a kind of like a but i mean very celebrated irish short very skillfully done but like a local short to to working mm -hmm. on like um the kin kin which is like a huge big international oh, operation yeah. and it's, it's um you know something that's traveling very very further afield um what are the kind of similarities and differences like how do you mentally prepare for a project of of that scope something like kin um well i, I often view uh, I was delighted to get to do, so I've done two episodes on the new season, uh, which are directed by um, Kate Dolan. So I was Brilliant. very pleased to get to work with her because I like, I loved Catcall. I mean, I really liked yeah. the movie as well. You're not my mother, but I really loved Catcalls. I, I have a weakness. I, so I suppose like a lot of editors, I have a weakness for cat people type stories because obviously you know, the, the, uh, there are certain editing techniques that are really associated with uh cat people the original um uh, the original uh val luton movie and um so yeah and i love that i love that short so working with the, the, the prospect of working her with her was great but what i should say about kin i suppose is that i've done a, a about a month's uncredited work on the first series and it's just always nice to get asked back you know that's a they don't ask you back if it didn't go well like so i i loved i i really enjoyed working on the first series and one of the things that was really good about it, i think the you know peter and everyone behind us and emma fleischer so peter mckenna is the show writer very clear-eyed about what the strengths and weaknesses of the show and i was very confident from talking to them that they knew how to make the show better and uh, i'm so i'm i'm really hoping that yeah can't wait till people see the new series but in terms of like, does it make you nervous or anything? No, I, I mean, you just always kind of, I don't know, I'm always kind of keen to show people what I can do. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty, you know, I'm not, I'm not new to this. I suppose I've been in 
the like the room I'm sitting in now in screen scene is directly underneath the first um, drama cutting room that I worked in, which was about 20 years ago on a bachelor's walk. So I don't really, I don't get nervous as such. This is far more nerve wracking for me than anything I would do in work. Uh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this, this is new to me, uh, uh, talking to people about editing. And, uh, um, but, you well, then, well, I suppose I talked to my assistants about editing, or when I was an assistant, I talked to the editors. I, it was an everyday thing. So it is something that sort of, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a topic of conversation for me all the time. But, yeah, in terms of looking forward to Kane, I suppose, really, you just read the scripts. Uh, I'm not an editor that ignores the scripts. I know some people seem to think that it's all about whatever whatever they shoot. I, I really don't agree with that. I think the more familiar you are with the scripts, the more you can gauge what kind of a job it's going to be, whether you're going to need to restructure things, whether it's just going to work. Like what It kind of tells you what you're going to be spending your time doing, because if you have a script that absolutely works, you're just going to be making a good thing better. If you have a script that you start to, you know, you do have to watch. Sometimes you read a script in quite a, with a professional eye where you're kind of kicking the wheels of it going, because if there are problems as the editor, they're going to be your problems eventually. <laughs> you're, you're, there's nobody, nobody else is going to solve those things if they're, they're already there, particularly if it's a structural thing or if it's a, if you think the storytelling is unclear, that is going to be your job to sort that out. So certainly in terms of preparing for again, I just I know I, I read the scripts. I talked to Kate and I was pretty confident it was not going to be terribly hard for me in the best in the best way possible. It was like and that's how it transpired. I've got to say that was one of the it was a pretty in a good way, an easy gig for me in that, it, you know, the scripts were already good. Kate's a good director. She, she it was her first time doing TV, but and it was her first time using two cameras. And that's a big cameras, gig. But... Like, I mean, she's so talented oh, and yeah. celebrated. And oh my God, her feature is brilliant. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it wasn't. Yeah, well, I wasn't like surprised at how quickly yeah. she took to it, but it should like it just in a practical way yeah, that she hadn't used a, a two camera setup before. And I, I, you know, I've been in cutting rooms on shows where very celebrated directors can't use two cameras or just like they put the second one on a long lens out of sight and it just it just sort of it's just there where she knew how to I think she knew pretty well how to to maximize the two the two camera setup which is often how a lot of like tv is shot just because of you're on a schedule and they they've got you know six other episodes to make and i and that but uh yeah she took to all that really well so it was it was uh yeah it was nice and just yeah. the, the practicalities of doing that because i presume like okay you're in a project you get to decide the kind of the flow of the project how mm um you know how things will look and feel and that's that's up to you is there when plugging into like a big system like that and being like one section of a big system working under Kate how do you ensure you know is there a house style is there specific pacing like how do you ensure that all the episodes feel the same because it's, it's just you know like that you're part of one big ecosystem like is that something that you know people come in and like producers and showrunners come in and sit with you and actually go, we normally do it this way, or is it something that you're given on a sheet beforehand? Is it something you can buy here? Like I've, I've never been no star it, wipes, you know, you know only <laughs> star wipes. Yeah, yeah, people frown on star wipes. It's a real shame. I never got to. I always try and slip one in, but yeah, they always take it out. Um, no, what, what I would say in terms of the obvious things that has changed over the last say twenty years was when I started. So a lot of, well, I, my first drama jobs were here in Dublin. I then moved to, to London and assisted there. And, and basically the British model at the time was very director led. So you would have different script writers and different directors from block to block. And you would see real variations of style from episode to episode. Now that, that can be fun and that was, it was fun to work on, but I think obviously I think viewers' expectations have gone away from that. 
you know, and then that people want a consistent show and characters to be consistent from one week to the next. And certainly the more episodic style that I was used to say in the noughties didn't lend itself to that. And I should say at the time, it was like, it wasn't like people behind the scenes weren't aware of this, you know, the Sopranos and the Wire had come along and people were looking at them in Britain, like with astonishment going, oh my God, look at this. It's a, it's a, it's a big story they're telling as opposed to just a week to week thing. So what has changed in that if you're talking about who keeps an eye on making sure that the show is consistent that I suppose it's the position of the the, the unofficial position of the showrunner because you never see the word you know there's no credit that says showrunner on any show I've ever seen anyway but there are people who are tasked with that and it's usually the creator stroke head writer and I really like it as a a way of doing things, although it does take power away from the director. So it it's, it's a little strange that way. Um, it's, it's certainly Kate had to get used to that. And, Kate, and it's a little strange for me because, you know, as the editor, I would think my primary relationship is with the director. So the director has to trust the editor, you know, or else there's really, it doesn't matter how good you are. If the director doesn't trust you, they're going to need to get someone else that they do trust so but it's a funny one for you because I always think of while the director is on the show I always think of myself as directly answerable to them and I always check things with them first before saying anything else so anything they do you know nothing goes out of the cutting room without the director's say so so what happens with the showrunner kind of model is at a certain point the director drifts away and the showrunner takes over and so then it is a little odd for the editor because your your loyalties shift <laughs> loyal to the director until they're not there anymore and then and then but i suppose the thing is the way i see it or the way i explain it to myself or the way i explain it to directors is ultimately my primary loyalty is to the show itself and to make sure the show is as good as possible and i suppose if everybody's got that in mind then it'll be okay but it is um yeah it creates a slight split loyalties thing for the editor but I, until the day that that the showrunner takes over i consider myself essentially to be working primarily for the director i suppose but uh yeah does that i can't remember what the question was yeah <laughs> no i'm it? just kind of getting a lot it was like that's amazing it was kind of it was kind of like more like what are the practicalities as a, a, like being like kind of tagged into a team like that but oh yeah well, well are you in terms of a team of editors uh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and, and going like you know like if someone's like you know like yeah like now star wipes is the house style so you can only do it like i think every all my questions will be in star in terms of star <laughs> you know like it's just you know this is our house style now we want to do this or actually you know what if someone changes in episode two actually we've changed that arc ever so slightly like now you have to change all these things like later in the edit is there any of this or is it just like you're very much so isolated dealing with Kate and then maybe changes come on at a later time like uh, yeah well I would talk to the other editors not hugely just just in terms of yeah, you sort of compare notes. I mean, obvious things are to do with, say, temp music. Like you keep the temp, you'll usually, most shows you'll work from previous series, you'll get an idea of what, because if you're talking about feel of show, like obviously how it looks is baked into, you know, in terms of how it looks, the, you know, the DOPs are told that and the production designers, art department, they'll know the costume makeup they'll know that already so it's going to be consistent and particularly with the i think again with the showrunner model that that stuff is all baked in in terms of how the story is told but, yeah but that the, it's the pacing like like three seconds of a frame or something can make the difference between like someone being good and someone being evil you know <laughs> and like you know, like something being very like, you know, taking your time over something and then something being squished into a mantra, like it changes the feel of it like massively. And and they're big choices and decisions that change like can change a character's presence, you know, like Yeah. Yeah, but but I suppose what I would say is that in terms of stuff like that, um God, in terms of if you were talking basically about what is the right way to edit something, I suppose how I would a, a, a explain it is that when you're starting out, every, there, it seems like there is 
a million possibilities in terms of how to cut a performance or how to show the the geography and how to make sure that everything's clear in that and and actually as you get more experienced it becomes just one voice that you start to trust you go oh, that's that's i know i know what to do here um mm. in terms of i yeah i don't think i ever get told how to cut things because like, i don't really think that editing yeah people think like you were when you were introducing it you think of it in a technological way because there's all this hardware involved but once you get the hang of all that it, it's actually an emotional thing it's not even really about aesthetics or continuity or any of the things or it's actually about knowing what the emotional thread is, is in a scene and in a performance and how to accentuate it or or pull it back in a way that's right for the story. So I suppose you're always you're always sort of subservient to what's the best way to tell the story. And that, I suppose, there's no style of editing as such. Like, as in, well, obviously there are certain ways of cutting certain kinds of moments, whether comedy moments or action moments or musical moments, whatever. But, you know, most shows will have all those things within them anyway. You know, if it's got a broad range of, um, I don't know, different kinds of scenes and different kinds of moments, you'll have to employ things that are kind of horror moments or comedy moments in, in all sorts of genres, whether it's kin or anything like. And uh, so you have to have those things in your toolbox um, and you have to know how to achieve certain kind of emotional effects. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm always a bit um, nervous of the word style with editing because a style to me sounds like something you would impose on the material. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to say this when I say I have no style. So no, I, I don't have a specific editing style, I suppose. I just have things I know how to do and know how to achieve. And, and you kind of use those tools at the right moments, I suppose. So it's more a kind of interpretive thing rather than imposing a style. So, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, comedies are cut slightly different from from kitchen sink dramas, or and you know, there are different ways things can be cut, but you sort of have to know how to do it all. I, I can't imagine just concentrating on one thing or or being told how to cut in one way, it's... Uh... So, so if someone was like to go in and go, this, this, it would be micromanagey and they're therefore very uncouth because you're like, know what I'm doing? Oh, here, listen, sometimes, sometimes they have to tell you if you've got it totally wrong, you can't, can't be precious about it. No more than an actor might get a performance just slight a line wrong and maybe the director will have to say, listen, they've tried to tell you 10 different ways, but you're just going to have to say it this way. And and sometimes that can happen to editors. You 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 are you are interpreting the script just and the the and the, the 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 actors' performances and all the camera work and everything just like everybody else's. And sometimes you're gonna make you're gonna see it differently from the director. Now they might think, oh well, that's that's better than I thought it would be. And sometimes they won't, and they'll tell you. So you just go, all right, well I'll fix it. So I mean that's you can't you definitely can't. You certainly, I think, as an editor, because there you're not you're not the boss. There's I've never worked on anything where the editor has final cut, so you definitely have to kind of cheerfully admit when you're wrong or when if somebody wants something done differently. I think you you'd be foolish not to try it because you don't know uh, that something yeah. won't work better than your idea, even if you were sure that your, your version of this scene was the best possible version, you're probably, well, actually, you're probably wrong. There's always a better way to do it, I always find. Whenever you go back to things again and look at it fresh, like there's always new ways to improve things. So, so yeah, so so the, I suppose the, the question was a little bit about style. Yeah, I don't, I don't have an editing style, so I'm not sure what I would so. do if someone told me to apply my style to something, I just, I just know what I, I bring to certain situations or how I how I sort of deal with certain problems or yeah, I don't know. 
So do you find as well, like some of it is like managing expectations and people <laughs> politics where you're like, like when you were saying that about the actor, I, I was sort of laughing because one of my friends was an actor. And I remember she was like, I had caught like a test scene for her because I'm like, I'm not an editor. I just sure. took a final, I took a film based course. Yeah. Was like one finger editing, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Like a like an eighty year old trying to type on a keyboard, but it's like um not all eighty year olds. There's many technical <laughs> capability eighty year olds, but it's like it's like that thing where she was watching herself and she was cringing, and I was like, go away, and I'll show you the end of it. Oh. And then at the end of it, she was fine. Like she was oh, like, oh, yeah. it's, it's like it's every moment. She's like, ah. Oh. Well, there there you go. Now you know. Yeah, that's exactly it. Why why would why would they put themselves through that to to see to see you do that? But you would have seen how you can. I mean, the extent to which you can manipulate a, a performance is quite. You know, it's, it's 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 a pretty powerful tool. Editing in terms of how it affects the performance. I mean, you can you can improve a performance. You can certainly ruin a performance by the way you cut it, and you have to. I suppose as an editor, in terms of how we deal with actors, is you, well, you have to be, I mean, you have to sort of be very respectful of what they've done, because I would think acting is a far braver thing to do in a, than editing. I'm not put, nobody ever sees me. I'm, I'm hidden away in a room. I don't, I don't have to perform. I rarely have to perform. Except for in, now. Except <laughs> now, yeah. Us. This is nerve wracking. <laughs> Everything's easy. Um, uh, yeah, well, so that, yeah, you have to be, you have to be very conscious that, that, that you have, to be respectful of what they've done, but you can do an awful lot to like say if you have younger actors or inexperienced actors because you'll you know you'll have in any show actors of varying abilities or ones who are theatrical actors who can just reel off reams of pages of dialogue all perfectly and other people who can only do do it like a line at a time and you know you need to know what strategies to employ to 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 to, to be able to sensitively you know highlight what are the or maybe help them where they might need help. Um, but sorry, you were saying in terms of the managing yeah. of expectations. Managing of expectations, and I presume that means like you know, like I, 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 I can't speak to this, and I'm definitely not looking for any specifics because I'm sure NDAs have been signed left, right, and center. But even like a power struggle between a director and a producer, or you know, like like in, like that kind of clash of opinions in a room where you know maybe people don't agree that they're both so invested on it. Like, do you as the editor go, I'll try it both ways or I'm not getting involved? Oh, like well, well, I would always be, uh, my first instinct would always be to try it. That that the best way to diffuse anything like that is to try it and to, and to try it sincerely, to absolutely try to make whatever the suggestion is worth. Now, um, because that way, I mean, who knows that the suggestion that you and the director or the director thought was horrible may once you once you try it turn out to be better, and, and or you might find a different third way that sort of actually because most notes in terms of those kind of power struggles usually all it is is you're usually dealing with somebody who wants the thing that you're working on to be better. Yeah. <laughs> Then and then and then like okay so they're they're very different structures so the the short film that you'd be doing kind of like in dribs and drabs and then I presume the the kin is you are block booked for a, a set period of time and that is your that is your focus then something like the lobster I'm just wondering like with regards to to project work like when when are you brought on board with that oh well the lobster was. Uh... Uh, yeah, so that that was I don't know if that was my last job as a as an assistant, but it was one of my last jobs as an assistant, and it, it was one of the things where I got I wasn't the first choice as the first assistant, um, uh, so I like but I got sent the script, and obviously I I'd seen Dogtooth, and uh, like, but when I read what? the last well, <laughs> well, it was one of those. How many times am I gonna get to? work on a science fiction film about people being turned into 
animals if they fa <laughs> fail to find a mate. I was like, well, I've, I've got to do this. And, and I was really curious about Yorgos Lanthimos and that because I actually I lived in Greece for a while and, and well, I can't speak Greek anymore. I used to be able to understand. And I was very curious about the actor's performances in Dogtooth and wondered how that would translate into English. And it was, you know, it was that kind of deadpan weird staccato delivery uh, sort of drained of emotion so i was very curious and i was very curious about like clearly he had this very um incredible sense of framing and of the way he plays things in the frame so i was really i was really keen to do it but i knew i wasn't first choice and then and i think the the first assistant dropped out quite late so this was like i don't know 10 days before they were due to sh start shooting down in park nasilla we start and um so yeah, I just said yes immediately, and uh, and it was actually that was a little bit of a shame on that 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 when they got in contact with me, the plan was still to shoot on thirty five, and I, I had I had worked in Technicolor, and I suppose I had a quite a knowledge of how film worked, which is getting rarer and rarer yeah. all the time. Obviously, that that knowledge is aging out because anybody coming in in the last like 10, 15 years is not going to know anything about that or, or very little. Um, so I was really keen to use that bit of my brain because it was it was something that I got to do very rarely or increasingly rarely even by then. And um, so but then it, it became very apparent that we couldn't really shoot in Kerry and send the rushes to to London and get them back in the kind of and the kind of turnaround that was needed so it was a very late decision made to to shoot it digitally but um yeah so that was a that was a little bit of a shame but in terms of the actual the shoot of the lobster it was uh yeah, it was fantastic fun i mean we we were the cutting rooms were in park nasilla in the hotel that's in the movie so all the actors were staying there so you'd be you know, I'd be hanging out my washing in the morning when I'd be, and uh, John C. Riley would cycle past me and go, hi, John. And, uh, or, you know, you'd be having a cigarette outside and Olivia Coleman would be there. And uh, yeah, that was great. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. And it was, you know, it was, um, but it was also just, I, I found it fascinating. I found how he approached things fascinating, Orgus Lankovitz. And I remember every day when I would kind of go down to a set to, to split the rushes at lunchtime, you know, I'd get the cards from the from the DIT and head back up on my hard drive back to the cutting room. And um, uh, yeah, it was always just fun to see what they had shot that day. And uh, uh, yeah, it was really, really just, yeah, it was, I, I, again, it was, I, I wouldn't, in terms of, I, I just remember I couldn't wait to get started. I, 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 it was definitely, it was a feeling of excitement, like in terms of how do I prepare for that? Well, I mean, usually you're just answering a load of questions and at the time, yeah, it would have been how, you know, there's a lot of practical concerns about how you're going to back everything up. And it, it, even though it had this very stellar cast behind the scenes, the lobster, it wasn't vast amounts of money. So it was like, well, how do we do this um, relatively cheaply? Um, uh but yeah uh, but, and it was yeah but it was it was a lot of fun to work brilliant on. and uh, just yeah. with, with terms of i'm just curious to how a project like that works so you're on set you're you're putting together scenes straight away after they're cut which is which is kind of very yeah and then oh, yeah. do a rough cut yeah. send it away wait for a while does it come back like or is it is it all so uh, quick well, that that was a slightly usual, unusual one, and that I um, so yes, uh, there was another Yorga, Yorgas, the editor Blackfish, who who's fantastic, um, who was so who I was assisting. So he would, yeah, I would prep up all the the rushes, and he would cut and try and keep up with camera, um, and 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 prepare a cut as we were going. And occasionally, Yorgas Lanthimos would come in and see what we had done, and. Uh, um yeah it was a bit so you're you're cutting while they're shooting uh for for loads of reasons just like obviously that's generally how you do it with features and with drama because you know if they if something's not worked they need to know while they still have the actors while they still have the location and so you yeah you're you're doing a, a version as you go now the, the the initial version of the lobster was unusual i think at, partly as a 
a, a result of the way that Jorgis Lanthimos shot things in that that initial cut of the, that was done on set was like three and a half hours long. I don't know what the final movie was, but it was it was about half that in the end. So so he had a quite unusual way of working in that he would just let things play out. And so instead of and because there's not a huge amount of cutting within the scenes, what he would do when he needed to get the length down is he would just remove scenes or 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 cut them in half. So there was a lot in the script that didn't make it into the to the final film. So that was it was interesting to see that happen. In terms of what happened after the shoot, unfortunately, I couldn't uh, what what happened specifically was Blackfish, the editor and Jorgis Lanthimos went off to a Greek island where nobody could get to them. I think it was only reachable by boat. And they hid themselves away for the summer and, and they just cut because I think Jorgis Lanthimos has a huge amount of control over his, I don't think he has, he, he may have final cut over, he, 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 it was definitely, he was in a large way, it was funny to see a director with the amount of power that he had, so he, they went off, did that, and then they went back to London to finish it. Now, I wasn't able to, I'd moved on to another job, so I wasn't able to go over to London to finish it, so I sort of nominated a friend of mine from London to an Irish another Irish assistant in London to to Connor to take my place uh, um but uh yeah I would have loved to have to have seen it all the way through I mean I did stay somewhat involved uh right to the end but my main part of it was was the shoot but uh yeah it was it was just it's always fascinating to see different ways of telling stories and that was such a idiosyncratic story I mean it's um uh, it was funny, actually. One of the things that was funny was during the shoot, I remember a lot of the crew were initially a little bewildered by what a, what is this thing? And I remember one of the ADs, as I was walking back from the hotel, back to the stable, the kind of stables where the cutting room was, with my drives, one of the ADs shouting at me, it's a comedy. <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, yes, yes, it is. And she was like, I've only just got that. This is really funny. But uh, because it was so weird um, that I think it just threw a lot of people initially. But it was funny to see people come around to it and get really into it. And it was just, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah. But you've a big kind of scope <laughs> and you've worked on, on so many kind of different styles of projects. What are your favorite jobs to to get is there is there anything that you'd love to try out that you haven't already oh um god I, in terms i don't know in terms of picking favorites because yeah i i, I, I mean at this almost i I can only really think of one job I didn't enjoy in so like I generally just feel very lucky because I've always been freelance so every every job you get feels like a break and every you're always very happy to start and get going and so I don't have favorites in that way in terms of things that I haven't had to do that I'd love to do um uh, I always think of musicals. I love musicals, and I, I've never. I, there are very few of them get made in Ireland. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I mean, I got to do. Um, I got to cut the the action scenes in Into the Badlands, which is a an AMC show with kung fu. It was a kind of kung fu science fiction show, and I got to on the second and third series. I was one of the fight editors. That felt a little bit like a like a musical in that it was very rhythmic and it, you didn't really have to worry about continuity it was just all about impact and movement and just well i suppose because you know martial arts is i think in, in its original thing was like peaking opera or something so it, there is a connection to sort of musical theater that way and it does have there's all you know you're watching the, the the way people move their arms and legs and do they extend properly so it's a little bit like strictly come dancing and just they keep on kicking each other in the head um, but uh so that was the nearest i've got to do that i suppose actually funny that would probably be the nearest i've got to do to a, doing science fiction which given that the first movie i ever saw in the cinema was star wars and i and i did i suppose 
not that you're you're you you know I love lots of different types of films and stories, but you know the things I loved as a kid were primarily science fiction films and then kind of monster movies, you know, um, and that they were my initial love. And I don't oh well, I got it to be the the assistant on Grabbers, which kind of ticked two of those boxes. But I'd love to uh, I'd love to cut one of those things myself. Uh, but uh, although we, um, so yes, I suppose. Suppose those are things that I I would like to do that I haven't done yet, but uh, but I kind of always feel like I don't know. Generally, it's not it's not primarily the genre. It's always the thing of if the script is good, it doesn't really matter what the genre is. You just really that's really exciting. Like um like I like it did last year. I think called Maxine for um Laurel the director yeah. Laura Way. Yeah, and I I loved working with her, and I, and uh, and um, yeah, and I I thought the scripts for that were fascinating. Now it received a relatively mixed response, but I'm I'm curious to see how it. I think it's going to be on Netflix later this year, so I'm curious to see what people think of it. But I think some of the response to that was maybe more to do with mm. the subject matter uh, than the thing itself, because I I I uh, yeah, that was one where I wouldn't have necessarily picked it beforehand if you just uh, if you i'd never thought about working in a truck true crime genre as such but i i remember reading those scripts and going oh well i find this interesting about the sorry just for it's obviously about the the so murders and about maxine carr and ian huntley and i just when i read the scripts is oh these are two liars lying to each other themselves and everybody around them and I, I mean, I know that it's real subject matter, so you have to be sensitive to that. But just as uh, as subject matter for for drama, people who can't tell the truth are always yeah. interesting. So I, that that was also, I think, unlikable yeah. women do tend to um, <laughs> do tend to really polarize people, like. You know, like unlikable men, yeah, in, like yeah. not in that same way. Like they really challenge um, a viewer in a way that a man doesn't. And I think it's, I think it's sort of the way we've been conditioned. Like, like, do you know, like that's going to upset people more and men and women probably alike. And I wonder, like, is it the internalized misogyny? Is it just we've been inherently told, you know, like femininity is, is gentle and honest, you know, like, is there some unconscious, there's some unconscious yeah, yeah. thing there that it, I don't know, but. Sure, sure. Well, there's a huge, I, there is a huge amount of that that goes on. Just so in terms of specifically, if you're talking to the, about the reaction to Maxine Carr, yeah, possibly because it was that the reaction, whatever bad reaction it had, seemed to be broadly one of two things. Was one that we were trying to see her as a victim, which I don't think, I don't think the the yeah. final show did. And then other people thought that we were endangering her in some way, which I, I don't think that's true either. But in terms of her character, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is always that thing with her in that she is lumped in with Rose West and, and, and Myra Hindley. And, and they, they actively, and all of the three of these women had, psychopathic partners i mean uh but but yeah it's it's funny that the the men involved seem to be you're right not as don't catch the public imagination in the same way that those three women did and and that's not to that's not to exonerate her in every any way but it is yeah i do think that that's part of it i would say just actually funnily enough just in terms of of people's response to to any kind of films and tv shows is that ones that are created for women i always find whenever you're working on one on a genre that's aimed at women you sort of know it's going to be quite badly yeah. reviewed like it's always you know like if you think you know like even if you think in terms of literature that 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 uh, that what's the phrase checklist like it's it's so dismissive and whenever you're working on something that's aimed at women and if it's glossy like these things are always pejorative like as if something that looks glossy well why wouldn't you want something that looks glossy that's nice to look at like so it's that's like if you think romantic comedies are, are always they always seem to be docked at least a star like I, I love romantic comedies like uh 
but um and i know often these yeah, things but are women's really authors as well do. it's it's um women musicians if you look at like women's voices aren't heard on the radio as much um like women academically like it's it's a, it's very funny it is just i think unconsciously society doesn't necessarily love listening to women's voices so like that's why you know like this this thing of equality on panels like people really have to strive for because you're like oh and and someone was saying actually if it's statistically deeply unlikely if you were to pick just say uh, like a number at random say from academics or experts in a field that you would get so few women on panels like if you were to go okay well like look there's like this amount of even like male dominated areas or academics or something like that you actually it's unlikely to get all like statistically you would be unlikely if you just picked a cross section of of panelists from that pool you'd be unlikely to get it and it's in, and, and like i mean people are aware of it now so it's starting to change but i think like that what you're saying in, in art forms and the way people perceive it it's still slower to be filtered down like people are taking action but it's not it's not fully there i think i think it's like people are starting to open up and listen to those different voices but they're still not fully heard and and deemed to be not mainstream when it's 50 percent of the population <laughs> well it's uh yeah i i mean i yeah it's just well i tell you one thing that i always think is funny is just say in terms of like because my job essentially actually if you get right down to it is to manipulate the audience into an emotional response now there are all sorts of emotional responses that critics and or that are broadly taught to be absolutely fine like if you disgust people or depress them or appall them or shock them these are all these are all laudable things but if you make someone cry that this is somehow tawdry and cheap and this to me seems a world totally <laughs> on its head and that to make someone cry wow that's you know that's hard to do you you know they need to be really invested uh but I, but obviously i would have thought well in some ways that has to do with i suppose notions of masculinity and what it's okay for men to feel or think or express you know th those things maybe crying is still embarrassing but you know being tough enough to be able to withstand you know gory violence in a gangster movie well that that's uh yeah that that's far easier to get on board with but yeah i yeah i still have to i still i still want to be part of something that makes people cry i'd like to, like yeah, to work as a tearjerker but but also i think sincerity <laughs> is a real um no-no as well like you know like sincerity oh, yeah. like you know like emotionally earnest people you know like simple stories i think like a lot of um they get critically panned and like sometimes they are just terrible do you know like sometimes they are just like based on like sometimes they're really funny and complex and but like but i think people don't like to watch that sincerity i think they find it really uncomfortable you know like or mainstream or something as well you know if you like there was there was something that I was watching and it was you know like a small town pulls together and achieve a goal against the odds and and you're and I was like actually it's quite good like the characters were well rendered like it was very sweet you knew from the second you sit down what's where it's going and and but and, and you know and it's like the sure. underdog film and and this particular underdog film was like like it's well made it's well shot it's well put together again the characters are kind of nice and rich and mixed like it's not reinventing the wheel in terms of film structure it's not it's not yeah. an avant-garde anything it's not it's not challenging but it's a really satisfying watch and it's well executed panned like by critics but loved by people oh, right okay yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. I, I, I tend to, uh, I, yeah, I suppose as I get older, I sort of, I trust things that connect with people more than I do reviews at this stage. Uh, I think, I mean, you've got, I mean, I always, I remember actually when I worked in Soho, the Soho, oh God, it's on Darley Street, where, where all the film reviewers go, they go down into this, these dark screening rooms in the middle of the day. And I, I remember going, oh, that's it. And I remember I was in the projection room. I can't remember that. Actually, it was Mark Commode was in there watching. It was um, that Vampire Hunter movie. Abraham Lincoln Vampire. Some no, bad. Was, some quite bad. Well, I think it was quite. But, but I remember thinking, that's a terror. 
but that's a terrible way to watch a movie and i always thought well like what an awful way to watch a comedy where so much of the enjoyment are you actually comedies and horrors i would think are, are quite badly reviewed whereas if they watched them with an audience and could hear people and screaming and laughing that would be very screening as well you know <laughs> let them bring their mate from down the pub who would be sitting beside them chuckling the whole time you know like that's that's what you want instead of someone going like academic like i mean it's about the emotional like it is about eliciting the emotion of laughter of of like happiness of joy of fear yeah. that's the, that's the purpose of them and like like it's when it's a communal experience it's it's so like that's why people go to the cinema and don't just go home. well well quite to go back to the the first thing that you brought up was was um was gridlock and uh yeah i mean for me the absolute joy that i knew i knew right from when i first saw the script I was like oh i'd love to watch this with an audience so always that was the the goal was uh um i always had that at the end point is oh one day we'll get to sit in a packed cinema and watch this with other people and and feel that reaction to it and and uh, and it worked exactly, pretty much exactly as it was planned. And that that feeling, I suppose, actually, if I were to go back to like how I ever ended up in, in films in the first place, like I have very that time my dad brought me to Star Wars when I was four. I remember almost none of it, but I do remember being in a a dark room full of people and just that sense of anticipation and excitement and that. Yeah, I don't know. That that's really kind of the 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 best part of it for me. Or or uh, and that I suppose to be and yeah, that's something that I, unfortunately, like with TV, you never unfortunately get that feeling because it, it connects with people and, in and on Twitter. In you can way. make some sarcastic, but, really short jokes <laughs> on like our mastodon now, like and that's it. <laughs> oh, well, I do remember when Twitter first came along, I was working as an assistant on Misfits. It was a it show was, on E4 about, you know, kids would have rubber chains. It's next it? with Asbos. Oh, like, yeah. I'll always I, remember was, that tagline. It's such a good yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you've, you've described <laughs> it better <laughs> no, than I ever that was, the, that was the tagline <laughs> oh, yeah, of I, it. Like, I would, I'd love to claim this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we didn't know that in the in the cutting room. Uh, yeah, I worked on. I think I worked on all five series of that in some capacity. Um, and but it was it was such particularly the first couple of series when it went out, watching its kind of target audience, like which is you know English teenagers or British teenagers reacting to it was hilarious and tweeting back all the funny lines in it, and and it, instantly it having a life outside was 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 really exciting so i remember that was i i think um yeah i remember i think on the second series i was i think i might have been on grabber so i was in belfast while it was was going out on e4 and just watching twitter and watching people's reaction to it of course watching twitter while something you've worked really really hard on uh watching the twitter reaction to it that could be a double double-edged sword it's not always so kind <laughs> I had a really nice uplifting bit. I was like, oh, we'll end it there. That's so nice. And then we've ended on this like everyone's. <laughs> yeah. oh, but thank you so much for chatting with us. It was so interesting. Like.